So normally this is where I would do some sort of a satirical spoof or a silly parody to set the stage and give you some sort of a clue as to what the subject matter is today, but I don't want the internet overlords to take it out of context and yank the video before many people have had a chance to see it, so please accept my apologies ladies and gentlemen, we're just gonna have to do without it today. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining the podcast. This is Right All Week and I am Dave and if you are wondering why have I shifted, if you will notice, yes I am a bit more to the right because I just can't move to the left. It's absolutely impossible. I'm not saying that I can't compromise and move to the center. I just can't ever, ever go to the left. I'm more to the right. Actually, I'll, I'll give you the real reason in here in just a moment. But first, let me encourage you to engage on all of the social media platforms with the username at Right All Week, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, because we're in all of these places. And if you want to send us an email, you can do that. The username or the email address there, rightallweek at gmail.com. And then if you would like to listen on the audio platforms, you can do that. And if you've got the ability to give us a positive review. That's good for us to help engage with some other folks, and I hope that you would be interested in helping us do that. And then if this is on YouTube still, I would appreciate some help uh, reaching some folks that way. Also, like it, subscribe if that's still an option, hit that notification bell for future notifications if you're getting those. I have noticed that I don't get notifications to my own videos on my own personal profile. Maybe that's true for you too. And then, of course, on all of these platforms, please remember to share because uh, it's an important time for us to get information out there so that we can combat false narratives, which is the primary purpose of today's video. So, maybe you've been following and you already know this, that I got in trouble, sort of, slap on the wrist, because I allegedly tried to spread some misinformation in a previous video, and I got in trouble for that. So, you know, that's the, the story that they're sticking with. So, I decided that I would push back on this, and I would try to do my best to provide some context, to provide some important uh, data to support the things that I said. Because, you know, I understand. Hey, how do you know that what you say is true? And I believe, you know, because I am a Christian, because I am someone who says we should follow the truth, because Jesus said, hey, I come so that people would know the truth. So I believe truth is very important, and we should make sure that we don't bear false witness. These are things that I have said before. So I would like to do my best to try to prove that I wasn't making outrageous claims and that I was not trying to do anything to lead anybody astray and that I was trying to share accurate information in that video. And that uh, so in order to make to do my best to prove these things, I'm going to share some stuff with you today. So I am shifted in position to make room for to share some charts and graphs and data with you guys. So one of the claims that I made and, uh, and today this might be shared. I'm going to share this stuff in bits, but uh, I'm also going to put it up all at once. And we'll see what gets to stay and what gets yanked, uh, depending on what the internet overlords and the controllers of the levers influence, uh, what they will let remain. But one of the things that I said, uh, I talked about, and I don't think that this is very controversial, but who knows what they think is controversial. But one of the first things that I said was that uh, 
COVID-19 was a SARS virus. And so if you can look at this, you see that SARS, COVID-19, it's not one of the, it's not the first SARS virus. They're calling it SARS-CoV-2, uh, but they're also relating it to MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And then of course, it's also related to the first SARS, the, uh, this is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Now, the reason that I made a reference to it specifically in the video that is now banned is because of the epidemiological curve. So in the original SARS from 2003, or 2002 is when it was first reported, as because of the curve. And now it was came from the original, you know, the way that it came, it was announced and the way that it got here. Uh, the fact that we did a lot of the same things, banning travel from Hong Kong and when it exploded over here and you look at it, the fact that it was very prevalent in March and in April, and then it dies out in the summertime, which is something that I said in the video, expecting that it would have if we had not interfered with it. But the fact that things like lockdowns and the idea that we were trying to slow the spread, that we actually were somewhat effective in our attempt to do that and it actually caused some of what we're seeing right now. Uh, but I'm going to save some of that talk for later. But one of the first things that I wanted to do was just have to look at this say, yes, it is SARS because this is the, what they're calling, you know, we're comparing it. I was not saying anything new. It is a SARS virus. And look at the original epidemiological curve of the first SARS virus. And then if you want to, and I'll be pulling some up here in a little bit, comparing SARS-2 to SARS-1 and seeing when it is most prevalent and how it tapers off and what we have done to influence the epidemiological curve of SARS-2, but how it would have looked like SARS-1 if we hadn't done anything. That was one of the things that I said before, but I don't think it's, uh, it's crazy to say it's a SARS virus, um, but maybe they want to challenge the idea that it would have burned off, but I'm going to deal with that in a, a later part. And then I'll also break that part off for a separate part of the video. But this was part one, it's SARS, and that's what the epidemiological curve looked like for SARS in the first place. And the, most, the part that it was most popular, most prevalent is the same time that SARS was most popular, most prevalent when we experienced it before. All right, so next, in the same video that was yanked, I also uh, said that I spent some time on the hanging out with Worldometer and a few of the points that I'm going to revisit are with relationship to the website Worldometer and some of the math that you can do and some of the things uh, that I'm going to share with you. You don't even need to uh, do some math. For example, in support of something that I just referenced a moment ago, the idea that uh, COVID is petering out, which is something that I had said before. I uh, just referenced this graph right here that you can see the new cases in the United States since July. It's on its way down and you can look back. You can just see right here, it's going down, not all the way every day. That's just depends on how, what's being reported. But generally speaking, you can see if you were just to draw a line on all of the, the, the peaks here, it's in a downward trend. And that was the point that I was making. It's in a downward trend. The peak days are not as high as the previous peak days. And the low days are not as high as the previous low days. That's the idea. That's why you call it a trend, which is what I called the video that was yanked. A trends. All right, so yeah, that was the point that I made and that's in support of the idea that it's petering out. Okay, so uh, that was just one of the things that I said. Now, some of the other things that I claimed based on what you can see on this, on the, uh, the Warlometer's webpage, I talked about 
uh, United States, all right, well, and not being the sickest country, but the fact that it's actually being, it's one of the best testing countries, okay? So now, uh, check, Take a look at this one. Obviously, China is just lying their faces off, but that's not any good to us, all right? So let's just forget about that. But look at this. I talked about the fact that the United States is testing better than anyone. They are testing with a population of 331,293,410, okay? Which, you know, that changes on any given day. But on this day, all right, out-testing the population of India, with a billion three hundred ninety-two million eleven thousand seven hundred and twenty-two, they have done. Look at how many more tests. That is ridiculous. Oh, almost double. That is double the tests that India has done. That is crazy. They have four times the people, and we've done double the tests. Explain that one. So no, it's not that the United States is the sickest country out there. We are the most testing country out there. And this is just the evidence right here in plain. Uh, it's not just a black and white. I mean, we've got some other fancy colors on there just to make it easier for us to tell. And so that's just something that I was saying to help pr prove it. All right. So if uh, that was obviously, I didn't think it was that controversial, but apparently that was controversial. But there it is. So now you can see it too. I wasn't saying anything new. That's a point that I made in the beginning. I, and I'm still trying to make the same. I'm not trying to say that there's no virus. Obviously, if the tests are coming back positive, they're testing for something. Although there's new information out there that maybe the tests are too sensitive and we're picking up more than we should. But that's a totally separate issue from the video I made that day. So we'll save that for some other time. How about that? Okay, so hey, now let me show you another one. I was talking about the people who were in critical care. And so here we go, current. These are supposedly the current positives. And the two and a half million people currently positive, well, how many of them are considered to be in serious or critical condition? And I put both of those in the same category. So not even all of the people in uh, that day when I did this, all right? So that's not even everybody is in the ICU. That's just everybody that we've said is serious or critical. So out of the two and a half million, it's only 16,483, right? So I dialed, I've just figured that, I told, this is how you do your math, right? You divide one by the other so you can get a percentage. I'm like, that's actually only uh, 0.06%. I'm like, that's actually really good. It helps us to realize that there's a really good treatment rate. There's a really good survival rate. It's actually not that threatening. So we shouldn't be that terrified. We should actually be encouraged that there's a, a much better treatable, much better survival, you know? So not saying don't protect yourself, just saying, hey, maybe don't live in fear, which has been one of my primary messages since the beginning. Okay, and then this last one before uh, I move on to something else, uh, but still, you know, there's still more to come from uh, Worldometer. But uh, I also said, and I'm not the only one pointing this out, but the fact that we had 20 states that still have yet to report a thousand deaths with, and still keeping that because somebody has to differentiate, right? A thousand deaths with. COVID, all right? So it's supposed to be a big widespread issue, but uh, there are still 20 states in our union that have yet to reach 20. That was true the day I made the video and true a few days later 
when I went to start grabbing all of my graphics to make sure that I could make my point, okay? So here they are so that you can see them also and be like, hey, okay. So Dave's not crazy. These aren't outrageous claims unless you are a controller of the levers of influence with the internet overlords and you're trying to shut Dave down. But uh, yeah, these are things that anybody could look up on Worldometer and these were the things that I was talking about that day. So let's talk about something else. Now I want to pick on a couple of uh, things that I said. I was comparing states and I talked about CFR. I talked about the world CFR and I talked about the state CFR. Now when it came to the world CFR, um, I'm not going to go into like all the rest of the places in the world because I've already said this in previous videos. I'm really only concerned with, as an American citizen, what's happening in the United States. And then I picked on, okay, the fact that New York and New Jersey, because of those two places specifically, have dramatically affected the numbers here in our nation. So take a look here at the numbers that we have in New York and New Jersey and where they line up, number one and number two. This is important because New York is being praised right now, yeah? All right, so you can see what their, uh, what their total cases are. You can see what their total deaths are. You can see what their deaths per uh, pop one million in the population. You can see what all these numbers are. You can see how they, they line up. All right, now the reason that this is important, let's look and see uh, how these compare to these states and what we are now referring to as the Sun Belt Wave because we stopped paying attention to New York and New Jersey. All right, so here are your states listed in the Sun Belt Wave. Now let's see, here we go. Here's Arizona, Florida, Georgia, and Texas. Oh, okay, well, their total deaths, if you see, uh, those are all lower, and their deaths per million those are all lower. Uh, but even here's what's interesting is these four states, these four states together, their population is significantly higher. In fact, their populations added together, actually Texas by themselves, just the state of Texas outnumbers New York and New Jersey together. And uh, so you can add all these guys together and to the three of them together is three, or the four of them together, I apologize. The four of them together is three times the number of New York and New Jersey, but all of them together, their total deaths uh, at the time that I started grabbing these is 16,000 less than the total deaths in New York and New Jersey. So this was a, one of the important differentiation things that I made, but, uh, but we are currently praising the, the way that everything was handled in New York and New Jersey and uh, so that was something that I was like, this doesn't seem fair. Why are we picking on these guys down here, which makes no sense, and looking at these numbers when you look at the Sun Belt. Now, here's another one. Check out this thing because, you know, we've shifted. We're trying to make a different argument right now because deaths actually aren't as bad as they were, which these numbers show, and we've switched to hospitalizations and cases. Well, if you look at this graph, you can see that hospitalizations are tanking also, which is another reason why I pointed out in my trends that this thing is fading away. You can, this is a clear one. This is obvious. You see it, that it's dropped by half almost. So that's pretty significant, I would say. Would you say that's significant? I would think that it is significant. But while I was going off on this, I just decided, hey, I, I'm kind of uh, bothered. I'm someone who likes justice. Uh, you know, not like SJW justice, but like actual justice. I like things to be measured properly, fairly. Uh, so 
I don't like the fact that somebody who mishandled the situation up in New York, as like Cuomo did, he's the one who's going to get to publish a book, and meanwhile, DeSantis is being demonized. So let's compare New York and Florida. I find this fascinating. So you can look and see, if you just look at New York by itself, well, it seems like, oh, wow, look at all these cases and look at all these recoveries, but then look at those deaths. That's pretty significant. And then we look at Florida. Well, actually, wow, that's actually more cases. But compared to those cases, well, Florida has more cases and less deaths, which means that Florida has a better survival rate. So how are you get around that one? DeSantis has actually done a better job, which means that Cuomo has a much higher death rate, more deaths and a higher death rate total. Meanwhile, Cuomo is the one who's allowed to have a book and we're currently demonizing DeSantis. All right, so, and I've pointed this out several times, a higher number of cases is not the bigger problem if hospitalizations are down and deaths are down. So it actually goes to show that we're doing a better job of managing it. We're doing a better job of handling it. We've got control of this thing because we are able to survive, treat, deal, you know? So I, I don't understand, but that's what they're doing. And it, it shows the, a lot about it in a, in a not good way. It puts it in a bad light. And that was something that I claimed before and the numbers are bearing it out. And so that's what I wanted to share in this one. And so now I think that's enough on that. Let's go on and look at something else now. Okay, so before I get to some of the bigger things and too far away from some of the stuff that I just mentioned, uh, close to the time that I was talking about New York last time, I mentioned some of the deaths and the fact that we actually dealt with significant death in nursing homes. So here's a chart that shows you specifically the numbers of people who died in nursing homes with relationship to the population. So you can see here, per 10,000 residents. This is based on the data that was reported back then. All right, so this was, uh, you could probably find one more recent, but as of the time that this was created, uh, we've got per 10,000 residents in each state. Some of these numbers are ridiculous ridiculously high, as you can see here, to uh, some of them as much as 904 per 10,000, uh, 1,115 per 10,000. So you can see uh, very, very high numbers. Uh, the overall national at the time was 43%. I said 40% in the previous video. Uh, but when I pulled this graph, it said 43%, which if I pull my original notes, let's see what I, uh, what I came up with. That's right. I was talking about the numbers and the percentage of Americans who actually died with COVID based on the numbers that we had at that time, which comes to 0.05%. Okay, so that kind of helps to give you an idea of where we are based on the threat that it presents. But I was pointing out the lack of protection that we provide provided for the vulnerable, which this graph proves, and then to say, okay, well, outside where we failed to protect it, how, what the kind of a level of a threat does it show? Okay, well, now we bring it down to 0.03%. So had we done the job that we were supposed to do, the thing that we declared in the beginning when we said we were going to be protecting the vulnerable, well, then for the rest of us, we would be looking at a uh, 0.03% death rate with COVID. That's not from, uh, we'll hit that a little bit later. Now, this next one I want to show you 
because I talked about transmission rates and that's something that I was specifically told I'm not allowed to uh, spread any misinformation about. So this graph that I wanna share with you today comes from a cohort study, highly peer reviewed, okay? So this one comes from AIM and it was, uh, it has the American physicians, it has who, it was done in China, uh, it's in the American Journal, all right? So this one's got all of your experts, all of the right names are all over this one and I can't take any flack for it, all right? So here's what they did. They took a number of patients who had COVID-19 and they tracked them, they followed them, they made sure that they were gonna see how many of these people, how they not only were infected, but how many of them were presenting symptoms, how many of them were not presenting symptoms, how many people did they come into contact with, and how many of the people that they came into contact with contracted the virus and presented symptoms themselves, and then, uh, under what conditions they contact that the, they were in contact and you know then extrapolated all the data from that and that's how you get these things so now they determined based on this transmission risk the highest one actually turns out to be at home which is something that people like me have been saying since the beginning when you're hanging out with somebody at home all of the time breathing recycled air touching all of the same surfaces that makes sense that that would actually be the most dangerous place and then actually healthcare, which of course you would think that this is one of the best places where people are going to be yeah sure it's where most of the sick people are but it's also one of the best places for fighting against the sickness they have some of the best resources and the best training okay cool so good that there would be a nice low number, but this last one's actually kind of surprising that in public transportation, the contact is down to 0.01%. I would not have predicted that, but that's what they found and that's what they reported. And there you have it. So this is also the same study that said asymptomatic people are averaging from zero to 1%, averaging 0.3%. Uh, transmission from people who definitely had the virus but also asymptomatic came from that same study. So there's your, uh, your chart on that one. And again, that one came from all the right names. Uh, so uh, you can go look that one up yourself also. The last thing I wanted to share uh, in this section that I'm going with you guys today, uh, now comparing because uh, I talked about seroprevalence, I talked about, hey, herd immunity, and we got to hit like the right numbers and... Uh, I know there's a lot of talk out there saying, hey, we, we don't want to get too distracted with that. We don't want to stop testing. We don't want to put too much faith in this. Uh, but the people who are saying that, you have to wonder then, okay, well, what's your explanation as to why this is making all of the difference? Why is it then that the, the numbers are the same at Princess, the numbers are the same in Italy, the numbers are the same in Germany, the numbers are the same in New York, the numbers are the same in Sweden, and the numbers are the same in New York, not just New York State and Sweden, the country, but in New York City and in Stockholm. And that's the and I'm sharing these things with you because the guy who did this work, he's, he's put it all out there. And again, the links are the same. And these are also from the same, these are scientific studies who found all these same things. They're putting all these numbers up there. And this is what they're saying. This is what they found that they, and it doesn't have anything to do with population density. It doesn't have to do with anything like uh, requirements, whether or not you're requiring masks, whether or not you're doing lockdowns, whether or not you're re restricting uh, the group size, it doesn't change. The only thing that any of these places had in common is when they got to a certain amount of antibody presence in the community. And once they got there, then that's when all of a sudden, boom, look, they're all the same. They all peters out and then it's gone. So you have to find a way to explain this. I'm not saying that I know what it is. I'm just sharing with you. This is what I found. This is what the science 
scientists are saying that when we get here, this is what it is. They're still looking for explanations. I'm open to questions. Somebody who knows better, if you're a doctor, if you're a scientist, if you know how to explain this, hit me up, put it in the comments, do a reply video so that all of us can be smarter. But this is what the information that's coming out right now. And it is all over the place, not just my videos. Anyhow, let's move on to another subject. So next I want to address the CDC because I talked about, I had numbers from the CDC that I was referencing and I talked about hospitals. I specifically said that the numbers in the hospitals were dramatically low. The fact that we had less than 2% of all hospitals had anything to do with COVID. Like that was the specific reason that people were there. It was less than 2% and we weren't addressing any of our policies with respect to what was happening in the hospital. So let me share with you some information from the CDC about what's going on in the hospitals. So check out this graph. This one has to do with ICU specifically. And the fact that if you look at the graph and you see what's happening here, uh, all the numbers are down. And uh, this one is actually uh, a few days old. But what it's showing you here is that it's as low as it has been since the beginning of April, which was in the, in the height of uh, what was going on back then. The idea that, okay, we were, we were spiking in April. If you remember when we looked at the epidemiological curve, right, that was supposed to be, everything was supposed to spike back then. All right, so since the spike, now we're back down to as low as it has been since then. That's specifically ICU. So now look at the next one. All right, this one is hospitalizations in general. And this one shows you that even mid-March, things are as low as they have been since then. Also, these are both from CDC. So one of them is ICU specific. The other one is hospitalizations overall. And these are, the, there's no breakdowns, has nothing to do with age or comorbidities, conditions or anything else, any of the rest of it. This is just, hey, COVID and hospital, there you got it. So first one has as low as it has been since right before everything got crazy. And the other one is before we started doing anything to try to treat with lockdowns and all the rest of the regulations and all the rest of it. All right, now, this next thing that I have specifically from CDC, this one started to, when I first learned about this, uh, I was like, whoa, it's actually worse than I ever imagined. I always anticipated it was gonna be something crazy, but it's starting to blow up the internet like crazy. Everybody's talking about it now. In my video that got yanked, I talked about uh, what we were, the comorbidities and the likeliness that the difference between dying with COVID, someone who just happens to have COVID when they died, or COVID was just, you know, the icing on the cake at the time of death. I know that's not a really great way to put it, but that's just the dying and having COVID or the COVID being the thing that kills you, uh, those two things being very different. And before I made that video, the biggest uh, source that I had was somebody who had done an independent study, was reviewing death certificates, and they had come out with about a, a nine to one ratio of comorbidities to only COVID. Well, now CDC has gone out, they've released the official numbers now, and they're saying it's actually 6%, which is even worse that it's actually only 6%, which means now you can take those numbers and you can run it. Uh, and it actually, I did it the other day. It came out, it's actually only about 9,000 people in our nation have had a COVID being the only thing that we can attribute, the only known cause to their death in our nation, regardless of age. Only 9,000 people that we know of where COVID is the thing that specifically killed them based on the numbers that we have here. And here's the other thing. If you look at the other line right underneath it, other than 6%, the other thing is that everybody else has an average of 2.6 additional contributing factors, additional conditions, additional causes. So it's not just, oh, COVID and one thing or COVID and one, two things. No, a COVID two and one 
and another and 0.6 another thing so it's actually pretty significant and this has to do a lot with if you're looking at the numbers at the bottom here and you see that oh actually most of the people are above 65 you can actually take all of these other age groups and add them all together and they barely add up to the age group that starts at age 65 so 65 75 85 not no disrespect to the elderly folks just that it really helps you to see who's really vulnerable again we should be protecting the vulnerable and really targeting our focus there rather than these general focuses that we've had that really haven't helped us a whole lot and uh, and really rethinking our strategies here. That's my main point here. So that's what I have to say here. Let's look at some other things from the CDC though. Okay, so I imagine one of the most controversial things in the video that caused me so much trouble and strife was the insinuation that perhaps we're not facing an epidemic. I said it was in my parody, so what if I told you there is no epidemic? Okay, so that's probably one of the things that just caused some ears to turn red and some faces to uh, to explode. I don't know what happened to the, what their side effects were, but they, they obviously, prob I'm assuming, that was something that caused some people to, to not, they just didn't like that. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, what does the CDC, that was a, a claim that I made. It's like the, the CDC has their own definition of what an epidemic is. And we've known for weeks that they have had a hard time uh, meeting that criteria. Now, based on what I said a moment ago about the 6%, like if the 6% without comorbidities, if we're rolling with that, 9,000 people nationwide from February or like the, the last week of January to now, then we know for sure that wouldn't do it. But if we're going to include all of the other people who just the 2.6 additional conditions, then that might. But uh, I'm gonna show you some things here that they're, that they're using, all right? So here's the thing on which they define it, all right? So an outbreak of a number of deaths per week. So it has to meet it weekly would be the thing that they would use, right? So a percentage of deaths, and uh, it was supposed to be between five to 7%. So now they've used a threshold. They want it to be like 5.9%. Uh, this would be the, the lowest point that they would expect. This is your, of all deaths in the nation. So weekly, 5.9% of all deaths in the nation that they would expect. Well, actually, like some time ago, May, I think it was, that they expected it wasn't going to make it, uh, that it wouldn't do it any longer. And that was uh, based on the width numbers, in fact, okay? So, and the CDC even published something back then saying, actually, it looks like, you know, based on the declining numbers that we've had, that uh, that's where we're going. And this was during like the reopening phases, uh, like right before all of the, the stuff in the streets, all of the demonstrations slash protests slash riots and everything that's happened since then, right? Okay. So here, check out this graph that we have now. Based on the death certificate data, the percentage of deaths that are attributed to, oh, interesting, it's pneumonia and influenza and COVID-19. So it's not just COVID that we're listing here. We've actually got all three, but even with these all three listed together, it's 8.1% and it decreased to 6.4. And you can see, just look at the line. You see how it's just kind of been dancing around? That's the threshold line. And it's just kind of been dancing around the threshold line. And then we have like the spike and then, oh, dramatic drop. Now, keep in mind all of the other graphs that I've shown you in all of the other segments, uh, how the, we're just the trend, I'm kind of hitting that hard, this trend that we've had all of this time. But that's not it. Keep this in mind too, because look at this also. CDC released some stratified data. We've been waiting so long, so long for the breakout. 
Okay, now check this out. This breakout at the bottom here, it shows you all ages, okay? Uh, for everyone, all of the while, this is all of the months added together. It's an average total 8.9%. So if it's 8.9 from the beginning till now, why is that important? Because we had the worst part. Remember the epidemiological curve where it had that big giant chunk right in the forefront. Okay, which means it's definitely not that bad now. Of course, this one that I just showed you that has the spike, but there's an average in there where it definitely dipped, which is why you see it like it's under the curve sometimes. All right, now here's where it really, there's something that's really interesting. Check out this last one. All this is from the CDC, by the way. Look at these CDC numbers, and this might be hard uh, for you to see on, on my screen here, but uh, so you might want to grab this one and, and look at for yourself, blow it up so you can see it. All right, so we, here we have these numbers, and they're broken down. You have a total number for the week, but then they also break it up so you can see, well, which week it applied in. And as we get further and further and further into the weeks, beginning with week 10, which we first started talking about these things, all the way up to week 32 when this thing ends, which is, you know, in the middle of this month. But it keeps spreading them all the way back. In fact, in week 32, we were still attributing deaths all the way back to mid-March, which I was like, well, that's very interesting that we're still tracking deaths all the way back to mid-March. But the point that I'm trying to make is the numbers are spread out all the way across the whole thing. So how is it then that the, the epidemic or the pandemic is still happening now if some of the deaths that we're counting occurred way back then? I'm just asking the question though, because apparently for me to make a suggestion is uh, gonna get me yanked. So that's just a question that I have. And again, opening up the comments for somebody who's a specialist, who's an expert, somebody who's on the approved list of public educators to come out and provide an explanation as to why these numbers look like this. Why do they say that? Why do I have a total number at the top that's different from the number at the bottom and they're all spread out? Why are we still finding numbers of people who died in March and saying that they're COVID deaths? And why are we saying that five months later in August? Just a question that I have. But that's one of the things that I think needs to be explained because that's one of the reasons that we're using to say that we need to do the things that we're doing right now as far as strategy goes. But um, I still want to cite something that I said in the previous segment. I don't think based on the numbers, and actually you can use it uh, based on the stratified data that I referenced on the previous graph. When you look at who the percentages and you look at the total numbers, who's actually vulnerable, I think that we need to change the strategies to help the vulnerable uh, because they obviously need some help in those uh, for those specific age groups and those specific vulnerable individuals. So I think that needs some more conversation. Okay, so this will be the last thing that I talk about. It's something that I referenced in the last video, and it's something that I referenced in the earliest segment on this big situation, this whole presentation that I've done today. So I talked about the idea that this would follow the original epidemiological curve of previous SARS viruses, and had we not done some of the strategies that we've tried to interfere with it, that it would be gone, and that we have actually interfered with it, we're in a 
we're having a different experience because of what we've done to try to fight it, and we've actually prolonged our experience. So I've been kind of criticizing the lockdown thing, and something that I said in my response to being shut down by the uh, the internet overlords, uh, I actually said, hey, you know, you're one of the things that they said is I'm I'm not supposed to be criticizing the health professionals and the other the other local experts elsewhere and i was like actually you know what I, i'm i can't be held responsible for every local opinion by every local health expert everywhere in the world okay so and it's not my fault if they don't always agree so i want to reference an article that was published in the uk and uh, it was in the the uh an interviewer and the, the health editor in the Sunday Express was interviewing the a scientist who was the, he's the expert. Uh, he is, his name is Mark Woolhouse, and he is an epidemiologist. He is the advisor to the prime minister in the UK. And so uh, he originally, I don't know what his original position, I know what his position is now. So they did do lockdowns in the UK. And I actually shared a video when the BBC, who, you know, that's like the biggest cable news organization over there. And, uh, and they went after the prime minister because of the lockdowns. They're like, hey, you know, let's do some science here and said, hey, we're, this isn't working for us. And it was because they basically did a, a news piece hit job on the prime minister that they decided to open up over there. So their reopening is because cable went after them and said this, your lockdowns are not scientific. Okay. So now the epidemiologist, who's the big guy, the advisor to the prime minister over there is now criticizing the lockdown strategy. And so some of the big quotes that I wanted to share with you based on that interview, he says lockdown was a panic measure. And he believes that history will say that trying to control the coronavirus through this lockdown, it was a monumental mistake. It was a global scale on a global scale and that the cure was worse than the disease. I've been saying the cure is worse than the disease. Uh, a lot in a lot of ways i've just been referencing side effects consequences of the the lockdown saying that there are all of these hidden out of sight side effects the things that are going to be a consequence for example the one that i referenced previously one of my favorite to reference because it's so bad i'm not happy with it i think it's terrible i think we need to address it it's the reason i keep referencing it the fact that children are dying from malnutrition and starvation because the economy that they rely on in the united states has been operating at 50 percent for half a year we need to get it going again so that the children can be fed because their lives matter to me and it should matter to everyone. So uh, he's saying that that is a problem. So another quote that I think is worth noticing, he says, I never want to see a national lockdown ever again. It was always a temporary measure that simply delayed the stage of the epidemic that we see now. And that's the point that I wanted to make. The fact that what we're seeing now, the all of the declines, the all of the graphs that I've shared with you, the dropping of the threshold, the dropping of the hospitalization, the dropping of the deaths, the rise in seroprevalence, all of these things were delayed when that was, uh, this is where, uh, one of the places that I saw this, that's an epidemiologist. He's the advisor. He's the expert over there. And this is what he's saying. It's, I'm not the expert. I'm not a scientist. I'm not the specialist. I'm parodying the guy who is. 
All right, so there it is. That's what he said. Now, he's also pointing out some other things that I think that are important, where he says it was never going to change anything fundamentally. And uh, the video that got yanked that I was in trouble for, I pointed that out, said virology doesn't change. Epidemiology doesn't change. We can't change those things. Science doesn't change. And he says it wasn't going to. However, uh, low, we drove down the number of cases, and now we know more about the virus and how we can track it. We should be never be in this position again. That makes sense. Yeah, now we should make sure that we don't repeat these same mistakes. We would expect that we wouldn't be repeating the same mistakes, but you know what? Humans actually do quite often, unfortunately. Okay, another thing that he said that I think is important to note, he says, I believe the harm lockdown is doing to our education, our healthcare, our access, our healthcare access, and the broader aspects of our economy and society will turn out to be at least as great as the harm done by COVID-19. And he's talking about his nation, and I believe in our nation. It's at probably going to be worse. I did reference the fact that we're currently living in a health sector-led recession. It was interesting. We were trying to prevent our healthcare system being overwhelmed. We did such a good job of making sure that a healthcare system wasn't overwhelmed that we actually ended up having layoffs and shortages and a, a lack of wealth and income and profit in those places. We, we actually caused a problem. We did such a good job of not overwhelming them. And then there are other issues that we're going to have to face as we move forward and learn what all the consequences are going to be. And, all right, and then finally, he said this is the last thing I want to share with you. I would not dignify waiting for a vaccine with the term strategy. Wow. That is brilliant. It's like we can't call that a strategy because of all of the side effects and the consequences of just waiting, the problems that we saw caused with this. And he says, that's not hope. That's not a strategy. He says, but we need to get on with providing an alternative to lockdown. All right. So, you know, I like the way you know, that's uh, that's UK uh, language there, the way that you phrase that. We need to get on with providing an alternative. All right. And again, that's kind of like the way that I was, was referencing some things here. When you look at the numbers, when we look at the data, when we see who's being affected, we need to talk about it. We need to look and see what should change should we make to our strategies, okay? So he's just kind of saying the same things. It's time to revisit this situation and make some changes so that we can make sure that we're actually helping the people who need the most help here because it's obvious when we look at the numbers that we haven't done it properly, honestly. All right, so again, I haven't tried to challenge the idea that COVID's real. I haven't tried to challenge the sickness. I haven't tried to challenge the death. And I haven't come out there and tried to talk anything about transmission or prevention or diagnosis or any of the rest of it. I've just shared with you the data and I've done it piece by piece and we've been all the way down it and I've provided you with expert information from the guys out there who are actually doing the real work. So you do what you wanna do with that information. I hope that you will share with it so some other people can do some of their own critical thinking and come to some of their own decisions about this. But I think the most important thing for us is to actually think and talk and see what we can do to make our lives better as a society. If you watched all of these segments, if you finished this video, I'm very grateful to you and I hope that I will see you again at, right here at Right All Week. I am Dave and this is what we talk about. What's right, how it's right, and why it matters.